Hello and welcome to Crosstalk, where all things are considered. I'm Peter LaBelle. Those of us who watch carefully the Russiagate hoax always worried that it would eventually become the foundation for policy. The Biden administration has done exactly this. And what to do with Trump supporters? Are American liberals embracing the Soviet experience? To discuss these issues and more, I am joined by my guest, Patrick Henningsen in Plymouth. He's the editor and founder of the 21st Century Wire. And here in Moscow, we're joined by Dmitry Babich. He is a political analyst and editor at InnoSME Internet Media Project. All right, gentlemen, crosstalk rules in effect. That means you can jump in anytime you want, and I always appreciate it. Okay, let's go to Patrick in Plymouth. Well, the Biden administration has started its foreign policy uh, approaches here. And of course, Russia is, uh, as always, close to the top for some reason. Um, and those of us that have watched the Russiagate hoax over these years always lamented, as I said in my introduction, that it would it would bleed into policy. Well, it has done that, okay? Well, we we have mixed signals. I mean, we can talk about the, uh, the five-year extension on the New START uh, treaty that's uh, about to expire next month, um, which is good news, and we always uh, cheer for good news. But I wonder if there's going to be linkages, because we still have this rhetoric of uh, Russia interfering, meddling in American politics, so it's never spoken out loud, that, uh, out loud that the United States meddles in every country's internal politics here. So um, a mixed bag, Patrick, but as I'd like to do, I'd like to stress is that this fictitious story, uh, Russiagate, has bled into policy, and that's something that, um, uh, that we all worried about. Go ahead. Well, that's something that we were warning about from the very beginning is the danger of uh, allowing a sort of official conspiracy theory to permeate uh, into, you know, public life, into the national discourse and have, and ultimately into foreign policy. That was the, the most dangerous uh, part of it. And that's very regrettable, unfortunately. And uh, I think this the, the fact that none of this actually makes sense from a logical point of view and is purely based on power politics, internal U.S. power politics, this doesn't really bode well for the United States um, as a world power, as a sort of competent uh, world power at the top of the sort of, the, you know, the, the governing hierarchy of, of the global it's late stage empire, I suppose you could call it. And it's not really about, about competence anymore. It's about being in power. And you keep hearing this domestically in power, the transition of power, we're in power. This is kind of a new thing in America. We didn't always used to talk like this back throughout history the power is with the people and normally politicians and government are serving um, at the pleasure of the electorate at the end of the day but that seems to have basically inverted glenn decent's piece is interesting uh he's talking about how the the old cold war paradigm was defined by the west being capitalist christian and democratic and the the soviet bloc and the being communist atheist and authoritarian and this is kind of flipped right now uh, in a strange way. I would call it, uh, instead of capitalism in America, you've got crony capitalism and what I would call suicide socialism uh, in terms of policy. Atheism is definitely in the ascendancy in America, despite what the Christian right might be where they're at. And and you instead of democracy, you have a plutocracy quite clearly. And, and that really coalesces with power. So these dialectics seem to have flipped 
And in terms of foreign policy, they're, they're still going to double down on this rhetoric about we're democratic nations. And the, the D10, this is the new sort of outgrowth of the G7. This is the G7 plus India, South Korea, and Australia. And, it, and, and Biden's really going to use this. Uh, we're, we're the leading democracies of the world, the high council of democracy. And this, they'll use this to sort of try to legitimize whatever policy is coming down the pipeline. God knows what you know the Middle East might be in store for or what Eastern Europe might be in store for. But you have these micromanagers now back in power in well, the White Pat House. Patrick, the interesting thing is if you're going to use the, um, the instrument of democracy, we'll ask uh, half the electorate in the United States what they think about elections right now. So, I mean, it's just, it's just laughable on its face, okay? Of course, this D10 thing, is it's, it's going to be a substitute for the United Nations. It'll be militarized. It'll mirror NATO. We, we, we've seen this movie before. It ends badly. You know, Dima, the interesting thing, you know, from the Russian side, they always expect the worst, which they, they should. That's a reasonable position, okay? Um, uh, you know, who they want to have president, you know, Trump or Clinton or, or Trump or Biden, it just, it's just ridiculous. I mean, it's, the, it's just this kind of uh, um, sophomoric uh, criminology that we've all gotten used to, unfortunately. But there is a little bit of a difference here. Um, since the Cold War, we've had every single incoming administration um, wanting some kind of reset. That was the term they used uh, when Obama came to power. Um, but that's not the case right now. That's not the case now at all. I mean, it's the the, the new administration has started out openly hostile, um, and then you know, on one on one hand, hostile, and then another, the, uh, talking about the possibility of uh, extending the uh, the New Start Treaty, which you know we all know historically, arms control agreements have linkage. Okay, so if Mr. Blinken thinks otherwise, he shouldn't have his job, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty convinced he shouldn't have his job, but that's a topic for another program. Go ahead, Dima. Uh, well, um, according to the latest information, uh, Biden's administration is going to extend the treaty. They, they, they said they would extend it for five years, even though there was open opposition to it from uh, Victoria Nuland, who is now uh, Deputy Secretary of State, you know, a pretty important position for someone who is responsible for the deaths of about 13,000 people in Ukraine. You know, she was responsible for this transfer of power, as they called it, but in fact, it was a violent coup in which at least 38 policemen died. You know, hundreds were maimed. They called it peaceful demonstrations. So, uh, but unfortunately, we're dealing here with uh, just a completely twisted, uh, you know, vision of the universe of the world that these people have. Uh, I'm very glad that Patrick used the word power. Uh, yes, indeed, it was not in fashion in the United States, but in the Soviet Union, the word power was very important in the beginning. You know, when Bolsheviks came to power, Soviet power. You know. We hold the power. That was the, the slogan that Lenin used when he seized power in 1917. So basically, uh, I'm not against any leftist ideology. I'm against totalitarian leftist ideology. I'm not against liberal ideology. I'm against this totalitarian variant, which they have now, unfortunately, or starting to have in the United States. And in that sense, uh, uh, again, Patrick uh, got it absolutely right when he said that the old roles uh, have somewhat, uh, you know, been flipped, you know, this this time. And here I'm going to quote uh, an article by our friend Glenn Deason on RT's website. Uh, I think it kind of summarizes what Patrick just said. 
the liberal international order has attempted to recast the former capitalist communist divide with a liberal authoritarian divide. However, the ideological incompatibility between American liberalism and Russian conservatism is less convincing. For example, McFaul, former ambassador to Russia, Michael McFaul, cautions against Putin's nefarious conservative ideology committed to Christian traditional family, family values. Uh, McFaul views it uh, as a threat to liberal international order, end of quote. Well, indeed, the roles have been flipped. I mean, uh, and the, the, the funny side of it is that Putin actually did not plan to be, uh, you know, that uh, white, uh, you know, a, a, a knight in shining armor defending Christian values. He had a lot uh, more modest aspirations when he came to power in the year 2000. I think he wanted Russia to be a normal East European country, you know. Uh, uh, expanding its connections to the West, de developing its economy in concert with the United States and with the European Union. But the problem is that these people, you know, this ideology pushes him into the conservative uh, camp, if you want, and makes him defend Christian values even more than he would probably like to. <laughs> you know, you know, it's interesting is that it's uh, the, some, the ideas of George F. Kennan, the the American ambassador to the Soviet Union uh, at the at the very end of the uh, uh, Second World War, um, uh, and he came with his famous telegram uh, in foreign affairs. You know, and it was con to contain the Soviet Union, which I think is very interesting because that, that that's come back into vogue. Michael McFaul's name has already been mentioned here, but you have these neocons, and I now I have a new phrase, Obama-cons, because that's who's in the Biden White House. Um, they like to, you know, bandy that about, but they they completely overlook what uh, Kennan actually had to say when the Soviet Union came to the end and, and the Warsaw Pact dissolved, that expanding NATO would be a catastrophic mistake. Okay, why don't you quote that part of the Kennan um, uh, <laughs> legacy here? Go, go ahead, Patrick, jump in. Okay. No, it's a, it's a great point, and just to carry on from what <clears throat> Dima was saying to the, the the dialectic they're trying to construct is that you know the the West is liberal, Russia is authoritarian, and you know anything East uh, is authoritarian, and that's the dialectic. But really, you have to look at the new phenomenon, which Peter you've just alluded to, which is liberal authoritarianism, and sort of in, enforcing global wokeness, for instance. And if you look at how the the media was covering the Syrian war, for instance, in the early days, a lot of it was you know we need to liberate these people, uh, the LGBT communities being suppressed. They do the same with Russia as well. They, they champion the Kurdish cause because the Kurds are woke. The Kurds are LGBT friendly. And, and this is what we need to get behind. They're like us, basically. We need to support them. And so that's the kind of raison d'etre uh, that's driving the undergirth policy. But you have the paradox of, of realism in the sense that you know, if you look at the way Ken Waltz and the, all the Cold Warriors, you know, during the Cold War time, constructed this paradigm was based on bipolar power distribution globally. Okay, but <laughs> what you have now is it, it's never changed. The liberal international order, liberal internationalism, is 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 realism because you have co countries like the United States, whoever's the most powerful, has the most resources, has the most capabilities in terms of the U.S. It's hard power, soft power with media, and also 
smart power with NGOs. That's a new uh, development in terms of being able to d disrupt, uh, destabilize a country, of eventually throw its government out in, in a coup or whatnot. That's that wasn't really uh, articulated very well by the great, you know, uh, international relations scholars during the Cold War, because uh, they were really concentrating more on hard power and you know just the general heavyweight bouts, basically. But you know that that's the paradox of realism is that realism still governs uh, li the liberal international order. It's a, it's a, the liberal international order is a farce and the press don't cover the subterfuge because right, yeah. then that, that takes the, you know, the, it gives the game away. Dima, last 30 seconds before we go to the break. Go ahead. Well, it's just amazing how these people confuse uh, uh, historical analogs. Uh, you know, when McFall quotes, uh, Mac, uh, you know, quotes uh, uh, Cannon, on the need to contain Russia, he forgets that uh, uh, 50 years later, in 1999, you know, when uh, NATO was expanding, Cannon gave an interview to Thomas Friedman of the New York Times, where he said that expansion of NATO was a mistake and that we should finally stop containing Russia. In the same way, Schwarzenegger, when he compared what happened to the, on the Capitol Hill to uh, the Kristallnacht, uh, in Germany in 1938, well, the exact replica of Kristallnacht was in Kiev, you know, when uh, the Ukrainian nationalists boycotted Russian banks. It was the same as okay. in Berlin. Dima, you, but, you, know, uh, you really no have to look with that. <laughs> These people just don't know history and they're unwilling to learn it here. Okay, I'm going to jump in here. We're going to go to a short break. And after that short break, we'll continue our discussion on some real news. Stay with RT. Welcome back to Crosstalk, where all things are considered. I'm Peter LaBelle. To remind you, we're discussing some real news. Okay, let's go back to Dima here in Moscow. Uh, Dima, you sent uh, Patrick and I an article uh, from The Atlantic, which I thought was so interesting, we should actually talk about it. Um, it was uh, it published in The Atlantic on January the 19th, and it's styled, What to Do with Trumpists? And if I could read the subtitle here, the proper response to these extremists is not counterterrorism, it's mental hygiene. Explain that last sentence. How do you interpret that? Go ahead, Dima. Well, uh, in order to understand it correctly, you must be familiar with the Soviet repressive uh, psychiatry, because uh, it was a very Soviet idea that anyone who disagrees with the mainstream is nuts. You know, he is somehow not normal. You know, he needs to be corrected. The Soviet psychiatrists even invented a special term for it. Uh, they called it a slow kind of schizophrenia. You know, these people just don't perceive reality. Uh, the New York Times perceives it. That means they're schizophrenic. You know, that means they're not normal. And it's amazing, you know, that the author starts uh, first. He, he, sp he speaks about repression. He speaks about Putin in jail. Everyone who uh, basically uh, it, was in any way involved uh, in the action at the Capitol. I think it was a crime and there should be consequences, but putting people in jail for 20 years for three minutes of self-aggrandizing, uh, like that uh, Jack Angeli or whatever his name was, that's, that's cruel, you know, that's abnormal. Uh, but let me quote what uh, Mr. Graham Wood writes in The Atlantic. Uh, the law enforcement should hunt down and charge all of the insurrectionists from the flag scarf guys to the grainies posing for photos. The vigor with which federal prosecutors have been pursuing them proves that the United States has not been corrupted completely. Prisons exist to hold such people as these. 
That's the end of the quote. So uh, basically, it, it reminds me of my youth, you know, when in the Soviet Union, uh, uh, dissidents were first of all named and shamed, you know. If you participate in some kind of a demonstration, you know, if you disagree openly, then you are abnormal, you should be ashamed. And yes, sometimes you should be put in prison. And of course, uh, the West is much more repressive than the East, you know, just to preempt all the future questions. What happened in Moscow on Sunday, you know, these people who wanted Navalny to go free, they could get, uh, you know, they could uh, demonstrate at some kind of a stadium. And if they had millions behind them, they would come there, as we did in 1990 when we protested against the communist regime. But they wanted a provocation. They wanted a clash with police. So 4,000 of them, which means, uh, you know, every person for 3,000 people living in Moscow. Moscow is a city of 12 million people. So uh, police says there were 4,000. Well, they say there were 40,000. Even if there were 40,000, it's just one person for 300 Moscovites. They came to that place and they had scuffles with police using children as human shields, you know, guys of 14, 15 years of age. That's not democracy. Okay. And what happens in the United States? Simply because you were near that building, since, simply because you were yelling something stupid, the federal prosecutors are, are after you. And someone in the Atlantic Monthly views it as well, a, a mean, symbol of non-corruption. <laughs> okay, obviously all three of us, and I'm sure our viewers agree that protest is fine as long as you do it legally and without any uh, use of violence. And I think that should be a universal thing that we all should embrace here uh, but but Patrick here then the 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 event it's not about the events on the Capitol for goodness sake okay this is just a cudgel here okay because the the uh, the, the impending purge was our had, had been envisioned before uh, the, the what the events on the Capitol so but the, I mean this just goes back to something that we talked in the first part of the program is that this uh, liberal totalitarianism in play here it, it is all about intolerance and um, and the refusal to have debate. I mean, it's better to deplatform de someone and disappear someone, uh, demonetize them instead of engaging them. And this is what this ideology has come to. Go ahead, Patrick. No, it's it's pretty clear looking at the rhetoric. I mean, this piece by uh, in the Atlantic is just uh, unbelievable. But in a way, it's a good it's a good sort of lesson of what the sort of mindset is, at least in the uh, coastal mainstream media echo chambers. But what what the direction of travel here is clearly the the, the real the real thing is isn't uh, domestic terrorism here. The direction of travel is the federal is federal power, the, fe the power of the federal government versus everything else, basically. And so th this is this is how it's shaping up. So the partisans on the left uh, are, are amazing. And the Democrats is if you look at their output over the last five years, it's been Russia, 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 and they're you know they're they're saying QAnon, this this online LARP conspiracy is like the equivalent to al-Qaeda or ISIS. Uh, but, you know, in terms of, we talked about Russiagate actually affects U.S. foreign policy. I mean, so that conspiracy theory has like real world implications, global implications, uh, in fact. But the, the, the problem is you have the liberal intelligentsia. You have people who are populating the cabinet right now. They teach at Harvard. They teach at all these top Ivy League universities. They've been telling their students absolute fiction for the last five years, and these people are in charge. I think this really there is a degradation of uh, not not 
not just discourse, but there's a moral degra degradation uh, in America at the intellectual, at the so-called elite level, the main mainstream media level, where they don't care. They want to blame the internet for the post-truth world when, in fact, they created the post-truth world. Government, uh, federal government, uh, mainstream media. The, it, look at the Obama administration, the, the how they wielded federal power, how they politicized the Department of Justice. That's what you're going to see under the Biden-Harris administration is a really very authoritarian, uh, very much politicizing every agency. His cabinet selections are all based on political identity, practically. So, I mean, everything is politicized. So this is like Obama 2.0. Obama established federal power in, in the executive branch, like like more than any other president in some cases. And now you're going to see the full politicization of everything meted out through all the different civil service and, and federal agencies. You know, you know, Dima, you know, in looking at the, um, the, um, the liberal discourse in the U.S., you, more and more often you hear the, uh, the, the, the term to deprogram or reprogram Trump supporters. I, again, this has such echoes of the Soviet Union for me because you know, their mission, uh, failed mission, and I would like to say, is to create the new man, okay? And, and, and they failed. But we, we, we see another attempt being played out here um, in, in the West right now is to create the new person, I, I guess, now to be politically correct. Um, and and, and, and what, it, what that does is it, it, it negates, I mean, in my opinion, and I, I'm not really prone to hyperbole, is that this is an attempt to negate the, the, the entire um, uh uh, um, renaissance of, of, of Western thinking. I mean, almost and from every single quarter, they're trying to crush it, okay? And it, it, it's remarkable that it comes out, it's coming from the West. Go ahead, Dima. Uh, well, you're absolutely right. And just like in the Soviet Union, it comes in two stages. The first stage is a total demonization of your opponent. I mean, MSNBC, uh, Mr. Hassan, you know, uh, uh, on MSNBC, he said that Trump supporters should be treated as Al-Qaeda followers who just walk freely among us simply because they are white rather than brown and Muslim, end of quote. So uh, th this is someone named Merdi Hassan who says it on MSNBC. A former uh, Department for Homeland Security official, Juliet K.M., agrees that we should treat Make America Great Again movement as a terrorist movement, mm -hmm. and Trump as it's Osama bin Laden. Again, end of quote. So the, the first stage is the total demonization of the opponent. You know, the, the old man is a bad man. He's terrible. Now the creation of the new man. It's just amazing, you know, in First Things, which is a magazine devoted to uh, problems of Christianity, Protestantism, there was a amazing article by Carl Truman uh, just uh, published recently where he writes that people inside the Protestant congregation such as Southern Baptist, those of them who do not believe critical race theory are no longer considered Christians by, by their uh, fellow Protestants. And there is a big debate. Can you be Christian and be white at the same time? Well, that's, that's exactly what uh, the Bolsheviks were arguing about. Like, uh, can you be a communist while not being a proletarian? Well, yes, if you are like Lenin or Trotsky, if you can be, you know, uh, if you overcame your class privilege, if you, uh, now they would say, if you overcame your white privilege. Well, I mean, this is the same. Mm -hmm. 
but basically yeah, it's, the same. it's the same but in a way kind of uh, worse because they they have established what the identity is now you must conform to that identity and if you're white well that's going to be kind of a tough thing to do i mean it's not you know appealing to the hearts and minds okay and i mean they're, they're actually making uh, uh making a case where you cannot be redeemed again this is part of our western political culture here let me get let me get patrick in here just maybe one, one more word, just uh, quick, the quote from uh, this woman, Juliet Kem. She says that first, that movement, movement has to be decapitated, so Trump is, uh, should be isolated. His followers should be embarrassed, and then Trump should be made, made, forced to repudiate them. That's exactly 1930s in Russia, you know. People like Bukharin, they repudiated their flaws. Before they were executed, they had to say, oh, these people who were my friends, they're all traitors, you know. I, I absolutely have nothing to do with them. And then these people like uh, Bukharin, Trotsky, and others, they were isolated, and, and then ugly opposition inside the party was decapitated. So it, these are the same technologies, same words, I would say. Uh, okay, now I'm giving the word to Patrick. I'm sorry. <laughs> go ahead. Patrick, go ahead, jump in. No, the, the, the Democrats, uh, the what you call the left, which will probably end up being the authoritarian right very soon, uh, they talk about inclusivity, they talk about uh, diversity, but only in ethnic terms or political identity terms, not in terms of political beliefs or, uh, for instance, the, the term nationalism has been merged to mean white nationalism, white supremacy. All of this has been kind of, you know, put together in one omelet by the media, by mainstream discourse. Right. And so nationalism has been kind of demonized as, but that's an absolute nationalism versus globalism. That's a very real uh, a political choice. That's a, that, that reflects the reality of the, of the global situation, but it's being basically crushed. So that, that gives you a clue as to the direction of travel of where the, the real policy is, is going with the people who are basically doing this. But to, to again, the, the danger is if you marginalize uh, a, a large group of people, you, uh, uh, you demonize them, you marginalize them. The, the ultimate goal is to disenfranchise them eventually. And when you do that, you will create the, something that doesn't exist now. To compare uh, the, the Trump or white or militias and, and so forth to, to ISIS or al-Qaeda, doesn't exist. I've I have I'm seen. I'm going to have to jump in here, gentlemen. We've run out of time, but they're actually they're creating a political apartheid, and that's what we have to worry about here. I want to thank my guests in Plymouth and here in Moscow. I want to thank our viewers for watching us here. RP. See you next time. Remember, cross that bridge.